Mark 14, verses 37 and 38. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake for one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Their word of God to the people of God. Well, friends, will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak so we can hear. Holy Spirit, awaken us to all that you have for us through your word today. Amen. So when I started seminary, also known as pastor school, I was not United Methodist. Now I was going to a school that taught Methodist beliefs. And I knew that at a broad level, how Methodists looked at scripture and interpreted it was how I had grown to interpret it as well. And it still took me a few years to get on that United Methodist train. But after building some relationships in that circle, learning more, I felt that God was indeed calling me toward this United Methodist way of doing church. But it wasn't that I just believed what United Methodists believed. It wasn't that I even liked the people I had grown to know, even though I did. The clincher was how the people who were called Methodists did life together. I remember sitting in a classroom and hearing stories like this. Methodists have always been known for our small groups. And these original small groups, they were, um, they were called band meetings. And it's when they were gathered together, do some kind of spiritual check-ins, how is it with your soul type of conversation, encourage each other, hold each other accountable, and essentially learn how to do life together, kind of. And then they would come to the end of their meetings, but for several of them, the end of the meeting wasn't goodbye. The Methodist movement had attracted a lot of people who were struggling with life, and they were seeking freedom from those struggles. And for a lot of them, their struggles were with alcohol. While the places where these groups would meet, they were surrounded uh, by a lot of bars. It was, uh, you know, that, that 18th century London, England type of place. That meant that when these groups finished their meetings and the people would leave to go and um, walk home, the temptation of the bar was literally footsteps away from many of them. 
So for a lot of them, they decided as a group that they would not walk home alone. Those who had that temptation would have others with them. Tell them, just keep walking right past, you're okay, we got you. You don't need to go in there. You're not going to fall off that proverbial wagon tonight. Because we're here with you. They did not want their spiritual family to feel like they were alone in the struggles. So when I heard stories like that, that's what made me want to be part of a movement that cared so deeply for their fellow sojourners that they would be willing to literally go the extra step in caring for each other. In our scripture reading this morning, Jesus has now entered this Garden of Gethsemane. He has really started showing that fully human side of himself. And one of the first things he does here is um, he brings others with him because he is in need of support from his friends. He needs others. And in perhaps this biggest moment, the place where Jesus is most struggling in his entire life out of his 30 plus years at this point, his friends fall asleep. His friends weren't there for him. And Jesus experiences loneliness. And it's an interesting timing for one of these friends um, because one of these friends is named Peter. And right before this uh, Gethsemane story, uh, Jesus is talking with Peter. And Jesus is kind of lets Peter know that he know he uh, as that divine son of God type of thing. He's like, Peter, I love you, but you're about to deny me and mess up three times. And three times, Peter says, no, 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 I won't. No, 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 no. Until the time comes for Peter to be there for Jesus, and he's not even awake to say no. Peter has fallen asleep in Jesus' greatest hour of need. So Jesus is not only disappointed in his friend's inability to be faithful to God, but he's just disappointed in their failure of being a friend. Because these weren't just acquaintances for Jesus. These were this very inner circle. They weren't... Um, Jesus only brought three of the 12 disciples here with him. These were the people who Jesus thought would be with their form no matter what. And they abandon him. He experiences abandonment from them. So in this season of Lent that we're in, as we're kind of diving into this really human side of Jesus, experiencing abandonment from the people we are closest with Friends, that is painful for anybody. 
It hurts when people who we thought would be there for us and we had spent significant time with would leave us. But friends, what we see in this is that Jesus knows what that is like. Jesus knows what it is like to feel alone. And yet, even as Jesus is experiencing this, what we see is that Jesus is still willing to reach out. Jesus is still willing to risk relationship with others. He didn't stop reaching out. Friends, perhaps the biggest tragedy that we face when people abandon us or when we have those seasons and experience of loneliness is that our response isn't to reach out to still seek others. It's that we close up. We say, I'm tough. Because I'm tough, I'm going to get through this on my own. I don't need anybody else. In our country, we have developed this tough exterior, this idea of rugged individualism that tries to convince ourselves that we just have to suck it up, put some dirt on it, pull up our brute straps, and just take on the world by ourselves. But the Jesus we find in Gethsemane, at his most vulnerable and most human state, which is what we can relate to perhaps the most, we find a man there who is in need of others. Jesus needed his friends. Jesus, the living Son of God, needed friends. What does that mean for us? The individualistic way that we've been taught to think, the idea that we just exist in isolation, buffering ourselves from interacting with others. Folks, the hard truth is, is that this has wreaked havoc in people's lives. Sixteen years ago, the um, American Medical Association did a study, and they found that America has one of the highest rates of depression in the world, despite the fact that we know we are one of the wealthiest. And they found that in comparison to a place like Nigeria, is one of the poorest, but has one of the lowest rates of depression. That study was 16 years ago, and I haven't seen things getting better. The place that has the most wealth emphasizes that prosperity is in reach if we just keep working harder and harder and harder, stay on that hamster wheel. That has a higher rate of depression than a place that emphasizes community but lives in a lower standard of living. That place has less depression. Now please hear I'm not saying that every place doesn't have their own problems and that we just need to copy what another place does that emphasizes that communal living more. That's not um, necessarily the path that we want to be on either. 
all places have their struggles and weaknesses in their culture of how they do life. But what I am saying is that I think we need to rethink our values because there have been things that we've been taught and socialized in that we thought would lead to joy and peace and we're finding that they may not, that they don't. What I'm saying is that when we realize that we can't do this life together, whether we have Jesus or not, and that we do in fact need other people, we find life to be more meaningful. It provides perseverance in life. And that is what Jesus is seeking in Gethsemane. And if Jesus seeks it, it's okay for us to admit that we need it too. It's like Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. If we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Another Christian author, um, C.S. Lewis, you might know him as he's written the books, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. There are a couple movies out that have been about that. Well, C.S. Lewis also wrote another uh, book called The Great Divorce. And in this, uh, he takes kind of a fictional but truthful-ish look at what he thinks hell looks like. And in C.S. Lewis's version of hell, there is no fire. There's no little red man with a pointy stick. He describes hell as a place where people just continually move further and further from one another. One of the truths that Jesus is showing us in Gethsemane is that in times of trial, friends, we are called toward each other, not away from each other. Anything that causes us to separate from each other, folks, as people of faith, we are called to act in resistance to that. Our individualistic culture that says we can just get by on our own, we are called to show something different. That is the Christian way of being. In Jesus' time of trial, Jesus reached out to others. Even in times of great joy, like we uh, talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus also um, going up to a mountain, where on the mountain where he experienced a transfiguration, a great change, becoming brilliant, becoming, um, having this amazing spiritual experience. Friends, he didn't go up to that mountain alone either. He brought the same group of friends with him. No matter what season of life we in, the great joys, the great sorrows, and everything in between, the Christian, the spiritual life, it is not a solitary journey. And this is our Methodist heritage. This is how God has wired us to get through the difficult seasons, especially the lonely ones. Because the way we really journey through those lonely seasons is inviting others in. Part of our God-given humanity, the way God has innately created human being is that he created us in a need for others. Now please hear that this doesn't mean that each of us as an individual 
aren't complete on our own, or that somehow an individual is lacking on our own. But it's that following Christ, that is not an individual journey. And folks, I fully confess that I wish it could be sometimes. Friends, you are listening to an introvert of all introverts. <laughs> My energy comes from being alone. I would love to think that I could get by in isolation, but that isn't how God wired us. Now, at the other extreme, that doesn't mean we just allow anybody into the very core of who we are, that we share our deepest, darkest things, or even the greatest joys with just anybody we find. Jesus didn't do that here. Jesus brought only three people with him. You don't have to share everything with anybody. Jesus didn't, I don't, and neither should you. We don't share everything with everybody, but we should share with somebody. Allowing others into our lives, it really does have a positive impact on us, spiritually, emotionally, physically. But friends, at the same time, what I want you to hear this morning is that it's also not just a positive experience for us. There is, in fact, something more to this. There is even a greater purpose in this. Please, I'd like to uh, submit to you these words from pastor and author Greg Boyd. Close-knit, loving, mutually submitted, mutually accountable relationships these are the primary context in which God transforms us and uses us to transform the world. Uses us to transform the world through loving, close-knit, mutually submitted, and mutually accountable relationships. So here's what I believe those words are trying to teach us here at Grace. We cannot find wholeness. We cannot find wholeness, as in W-H-O-L-E. We cannot find wholeness in Jesus Christ until we enter into some type of vulnerability and authenticity, the type of vulnerability and authenticity that Jesus showed in Gethsemane. God does not ask us to pretend our way through life with a religious performance. The invitation of Gethsemane is an invitation to be real with Jesus and with one another. That is what it means to be part of a community where heaven comes to earth, which is what we write as our vision here. Our vision of grace is to be a place where heaven can come to earth. And friends, heaven is about wholeness. And wholeness is about this idea called shalom. The ancient um, idea that the Bible writes about is where that which is broken, the pieces that are broken, which is all of us in some way, are made whole. And the path toward that wholeness 
is a real and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ lived out in community. The path toward wholeness is a real and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ lived out in community. General Secretary of uh, the United Methodist Discipleship Ministries, the one who, the area of ministry that really equips us to be the church, um, the general secretary, or perhaps called the CEO of that ministry, Junius Dotson, he has written a book where he writes this. When we're free to be real, when we're free to be real, that's when the real joy comes. So let me translate that for us here, Grace. When we're free to be real about our Gethsemanes, that's when a truly joyous church is going to come. Joy and authenticity are what frees us from just a religious, go-through-the-motions type of religious performance, allows God to bring wholeness to our fractured selves that has been fractured because we have separated ourselves from authentic, true spiritual community. An authentic community with God, authentic community with even ourselves, an authentic community with others. God doesn't want your spiritual life to just be a one-stop shop on Sunday morning and to be still be struggling with the same things each and every week. God wants to provide a path, steps toward wholeness for each and every one of us. So maybe when we see each other at church, Instead of asking each other what's been going on the past week, we should ask each other, how is it with your soul? Maybe that's the step toward authenticity, joy, journeying through even Gethsemane seasons and joyful seasons as well. Friends, we are in the season of being in a garden where Jesus knelt down, was really broken, didn't want to do this. And part of what he experienced was loneliness. Sat down, prayed, and felt lonely. And when we come to those seasons together, which we've all, I'm sure, gone through at some point, and all probably will again, even though I don't wish that on any of us, <laughs> I ask that you, or I invite you to look to Jesus in Gethsemane and reach out. Reach out. Because together we can find that wholeness. Jesus eventually found it. He had to go through some rough stuff, but he did find resurrection. And so can we, together. Amen.